0: I would invite you to turn with me in your scriptures to Hebrews chapter thirteen. Again, if you're visiting our practice here at Community Presbyterian Church, where we are um, we are founded on the Word of God. We are all about the Bible. We make that the central, the focal point of our worship services. We Preach consecutively through books of the Bible week in and week out. We start chapter one and make our way to the last chapter of a book. And so we're working our way through Acts. But today uh, we are taking a break in light of um, Easter Sunday to look at two verses from Hebrews. So we're at the very end of that book. It's page 1010. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to follow along and use the uh, Bible that's provided in the pew rack. Page 1010. This is the word of the Lord to us today, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Intense mountaineers will know well the dangers and the risks of what has been called the death zone. The death zone. Uh, this refers to altitudes above a certain point where uh, the oxygen uh, is low and the pressure. Um, Is is the pressure of oxygen is insufficient to sustain human life over uh, an extended period of time? That point's generally tagged at around 8,000 meters. And in the case of the death zone, the window during which somebody can be saved is so short and the risk to rescuers is so great uh, that it's pretty much universally accepted that rescuing will fail and should not even be attempted. So climbers often have to abandon their friends, leaving them where they fall. And that's why, in part, there are over 300 corpses left on Mount Everest. I now, I doubt anyone here has ever climbed Mount Everest. If you have, that would be a really cool thing for you to tell me after worship. But um, even so, even if we're not intense mountaineers, we know well the dangers of the death zone, and I want us to be very blunt and very sober as we begin this morning when I say this. We all live life in the death zone. That's, that's where we are right now. We, we know that in moments where we're willing to be honest about our mortality, that, that death comes to us all, and when it does, there's no hope of rescue. Once you're dead, you're dead. Maybe you have experienced that with a loved one in a, in a real profound way where, where maybe you've been there at, at, at the deathbed, at the bedside, maybe even holding the hand uh, of a loved one in their final moments. If you've been in that situation, you know what I'm referring to, where, where you can feel it, you can sense it, that there is a second where they're with you and the next second they're not. And there's no way to reverse that. There's no rescue, no recovery. Death comes to all of us, and there's no hope of return. Or is there? Or is there? Uh, The text we're looking at today challenges the perception of death when we are told that, in fact, there is one who has come back from the death zone, namely Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. Uh, He is brought back from the That place beyond which we assume there is no return. This is what the God of peace has done for his son. He has brought him back. But what I want us to focus on, especially today, is that in doing this for his son, there have been now life-changing, eternity-securing implications for all of us. The resurrection of Christ changes everything For anyone who believes in it. Let me say that again. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything for anyone who believes in it. Because the God that has done this good thing for his son promises also to equip us with everything good. That's the promise of our text today. It's what we celebrate on Easter Sunday or sometimes known as Resurrection Sunday. Actually, again, if you're visiting with us, you should know we celebrate it every Sunday. Here, Christians around the world recognize that that our entire religion is structured around the resurrection. We worship on Sunday because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead on Sunday. Without the resurrection, we have nothing. Our whole religion is built upon the good news of an empty tomb, and we rejoice friends, in this fact, listen to me, we rejoice in this, that there is nothing that is irrecoverable to God. There's nothing that cannot be rescued. There is no place that's beyond his reach, no obstacle that he cannot overcome. No one for whom salvation cannot be secured. And this is the power of God. And it confronts us as we read this passage. When you read Hebrews 13 and In verse 20, especially, are you not struck immediately with a God of power? That's the first thing I want us to consider a God of power. uh, So powerful that he can bring dead people back to life. The word for brought back, uh, brought again in the ESV, I I, I prefer the. NIV's translation, brought back from the dead, uh, literally means to bring up or to lead up. It's a directional word. We find it in Mark chapter 9, heading towards the Transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Or we have Acts 9.39, uh, which we will look at next week. When Peter arrived... They took him to the upper room. Both of the words there are the same word that we find here, brought, uh, brought back from the dead. It has to do with being in a low place and ascending to a higher place. It's a good word to apply to somebody who has come back from the grave, isn't it? Because where is death? Death is down. Where, where do we put dead bodies into the earth? into the ground, and that's where Jesus went for us. After he died, he was placed into the earth, into the tomb. But he went further down than that even, because we believe that the Jesus that died on Good Friday died as a sinner, and sinners deserve the depths of hell. For nearly 2,000 years, Christians around the world have confessed their faith that Jesus Christ was crucified, dead, Buried, descended into hell. The Heidelberg Catechism teaches us that these words assure us in times of personal crisis and temptation that Christ our Lord, by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of soul, especially on the cross, has delivered us from the anguish and the torment of hell, of down there, of down in the depths, because that's where he went for us. This is where he has gone, but he, he didn't stay there. The power of God is most magnificently displayed in the fact that Jesus didn't stay down, but he came up, up from the grave, heroes. We love to sing. And so that's the idea here in Hebrews 13. The God of peace who brought back up from the depths of death our Lord Jesus. Death is death is down. The realm of death is down there. But I want you to know today that it's closer than you might think. Author Bill Bryson was once walking with an archaeologist archeolo- um, friend of his through the countryside of Norfolk in, in England. And his friend asked him, asked Bryson, if he ever noticed that old country churches nearly always seemed to be sinking into the earth. And he pointed to uh, the closest country church to they were, they were walking by, and he, and he agreed, yes, it looked like it was built into a depression in the ground. And so his archaeologist friend says, do you know why this is? And Bryson admitted that he had no idea, and he was amazed at the answer. Here it is. It is not because the church is sinking or because the church was built into the Ground. It's because the churchyard has risen. The churchyard has risen, and you can picture old country churches. What else? What do they often have in their yards? Cemeteries. And this archaeologist went on to explain that in this particular country church, which probably averaged around 150, 200 members, the size of our church, has existed for centuries. It was a fair estimate to suggest. That there was something like 20,000 people buried there over the years. And he said, that's a lot of mass, needless to say, and it is the reason why the churchyard has risen three feet. Now, what didn't strike Bryson when he heard this, who is an avowed atheist, is what struck me that that is a powerful illustration of the power of death. That, yes, it's down there, but it's trying to get closer. It is close to us, and it's creeping closer every day, and it has a single desire, and that is to swallow you and I up, to devour us. That's the power of death. But the power of death is nothing compared to the power of God, the power of God that can bring somebody back up from death itself. And when we know that Jesus was brought back from the dead, brought up from the dead even, then we can spit in death's face and say, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Friends, if you're a Christian today, death will not swallow you up. Rather, death has been swallowed up in victory. That is the power of our God. And this text teaches us that bringing Jesus back from the dead was all part of the plan of God. So we see a God of power. See, uh, secondly, a God of, of God of promise. May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great Shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. That word covenant should make you think plan, promise. That this didn't just kind of happen willy nilly. That this was part of God's plan. Friends, there was a promise that God made in eternity past to save sinners, even if it meant the death of his son. That was a promise God made in eternity past, and on Easter Sunday, he made good on that promise. I I think, again, the NIV places the clause together in a manner that's more helpful than the ESV. This is how the NIV reads it. It says, may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. It helps us to understand that it's through the covenant that Jesus is raised up. It's according to God's plan and promise to save sinners. I have said this before and I will say it again today, and I'll say it again a lot more times probably, that the cross was not plan B. The the empty tomb wasn't plan B. The resurrection wasn't God trying to fix a mistake that shouldn't have taken place, to defeat death, our triune God had always purposed for the Son to die. Now, in the ancient world, think Old Testament and even older, uh, when when two people would enter into a, 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 a pact with one another, a promise, a covenant, they often did so by way of bloodshed. Uh, covenants were, were promises made in blood. So, for example, an animal would be killed As a sign to show that the obligations that the two parties were entering into were very serious. It was a matter of life and death. And they would even walk in between the the blood and the guts of this animal as a way of saying, I'm staking my my life on this promise so that if I break the promise, I'm, I'm conceding that I should be like this dead animal. It's kind of akin to maybe the ways you might have made promises when you were a little kid. When you really want somebody to know you mean it, you say, cross my heart and hope to die. That's how serious this is. I recognize it's a life or death matter. Well, God was so serious about his promise to save sinners that he makes the promise in blood, but not the blood of bulls or goats, the blood of his perfect, precious, only and beloved son. But Jesus doesn't remain dead because the resurrection is part of the plan too. But it's the cross first and then the crown, the gore of Golgotha before the glory of heaven. And so it is through the blood of the eternal covenant that he has brought Jesus back from the dead. He must go this way, he must endure this curse, but he will live again. And we have to take such comfort that this promise of God is eternal. Everlasting. Isn't that a wonderful word for our hearts to treasure this day? That God's plan and promise to us is an eternal plan and an an eternal promise. One that was made in eternity past and one that will continue on into eternity future, if we could say it like that. Charles Spurgeon explains it like this. He says, the covenant is everlasting because it will never run itself out It will be fulfilled, yes, but it will still stand firm. When Christ has completed all and brought every believer to heaven, when the Father has seen all his people gathered in, the covenant, covenant, it is true, will come to a consummation, but not to a conclusion. For this is how the covenant runs, that the heirs of grace shall be blessed forever, as long as forever lasts. And this everlasting covenant will demand the happiness, the security, and the glorification of every object of it. Are you an object of the covenant? Has God sent his everlasting love on you? Is this, this plan, this promise, is it for you? Did he raise Jesus from the dead for you? Then you will know the blessings of, of this promise forever as long as forever lasts. And and this promise comes from a God of peace, we consider thirdly. I passed over this title up to this point because I want us to see that the resurrection and the eternal covenant of grace all flow from God of peace to the author of Hebrews. When he thinks on the power of God to bring people back from the dead, when he thinks of the promise of, of God to save sinners, He's thinking of the peace of God, and so He uses this title, the God of Peace. Well, why, why is that? Why this title? Undoubtedly, what's behind the term is is the Hebrew notion of shalom. That's one of those Hebrew words we have heard. We we kind of know, but it's hard to pin down and define it. It means more than peace. It means wholeness. It means uh, perfection. It's how God made the world before sin entered, and it's how he will remake the world. The great prophet Isaiah paints a beautiful picture uh, of the world of peace as it, as it will soon uh, dawn in the last day. In Isaiah eleven six, 6, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard would lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the, the fat and calf together and a little child shall lead them. Does that imagery not speak of this idea of of peace, of perfection, of blessedness? And you know what doesn't fit into that picture? Death. Death doesn't fit into that picture. Animals of prey that would normally rip these weak and helpless creatures to shreds for dinner, now they, they relax together. Death is missing from the picture because death, is antithetical to shalom. Real peace is about life and life with God. And yet for God to secure life for us, this is the wonder of the gospel, he himself would have to die. In the person of his son, he would die for us. And and so while peace and death are antithetical, we find in scripture uh, somehow though that you have to have the one to have the other. It would have to be death in order for it to be peace for us. Uh, we read in Colossians one that Jesus made peace by the blood of His cross. Ephesians two, Christ Jesus, you who in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace. Friends, the God of peace went through pain, went through bloodshed, death itself, even, and He came out the other side so that we. Would know this peace. Jesus Christ endured violence. The cruel violence of crucifixion. To secure your everlasting peace. Your everlasting wholeness and life. That and so much more even. Because our text goes on to say. In verse 21. That this God of peace. Will equip us. With everything good. And so we conclude today by considering the God of provision. And what the author of Hebrews wants us to see is that in light of the resurrection of Christ, we will stand in need of nothing because of the resurrection. You will not want for anything. God will provide for all your needs. I want to tell you today You could have it all. Now, does that sound like a scam, the slogan of some get-rich-quick scheme? Well, it's actually the message of Easter. It's not a scam and it's not a hoax. What we're learning here is that because Christ was raised from the dead, you can know that God will equip you with everything good. You could have it all. I want you to know today, brothers and sisters, that your life is not beyond repair. It is not beyond rescue. Maybe that's what you're thinking. Today you've come to church dutifully. It's Easter Sunday after all, but your mind is elsewhere. You're thinking about the bills that need paid or the relationships that need mended. You're thinking of the stress of work or or family or dysfunction, the, the failings of your past week or your past month or your past year or Maybe you can't even quantify it. You feel like your life is just defined by failing after failing. And you're thinking today that you are a wreck and you are a mess. And yes, your life is beyond repair. It's beyond rescue. But know today that God brought Jesus back from the dead to show you that he can bring you back too. He can revive you too. He can rescue you too. And he will equip you with everything good. What does it say? That you might do his will. That's that's the key to our discontentedness and our despair. The sadness that we experience in life. The ultimate reason for our disappointment is that we're sinners who rebel against God's will. We do not walk in his ways There's no happiness, though, to be found there. And so we live life with with this weight of, of sorrow and sadness and unfulfillment. And we try to look for that fulfillment in all the wrong places. And yet Hebrews is telling us, no, 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 you need the God who gives you everything good that you might do his will. And when you do his will, well, there's blessing. God will cause us. hate sin. God will cause us to love righteousness, to live less for self, more for others, more for him. And, And notice what it says. It says that God does this through Jesus Christ. He will equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. He provides for our ongoing needs through Jesus. We didn't just need him to die on the cross. We didn't just need him to be raised on the third day. We need him every single day. And that's why it's such good news to read that God has raised from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep. It's no coincidence that the author of Hebrews uses this language. And Jesus claimed to be the good shepherd in John 10. And he says that the, 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 the shepherd, this good shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. But what, does a, what good does a dead shepherd do for his sheep? He can't feed them. He can't protect them. He can't guide them. He can't lead them. He can't comfort them. A dead shepherd does his flock no good at all. And that's why Jesus goes on to say, but I take my life Up again. That's what makes him the good shepherd. In fact, Hebrews says, This is so good, it's actually great. He's the great shepherd of the sheep because he's always here for us. We need him every day. We are equipped through Jesus Christ, through our union to that shepherd. We will be led. We will be fed. We will be guarded. We will be guided. We will be comforted. God raised for us Our great shepherd to meet our every need, to equip us with everything good and to work in us that which pleases him. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of your soul, can make you someone who actually delights God? Can cause you to do things that bring a smile to God's face? Do you believe that God can do that? Do you think that's too much for him to do? Uh, Think of your life, think of the ways that it's fallen short of what you've wanted And and let's be honest, what you know is expected of you, what you know your life should look like Think of the ways it's tainted by sin or selfishness The ways it's been affected by suffering or, or sadness Do you think that your life could actually be transformed such that it would make God smile? Do you believe that God, through Jesus Christ, can do this? Do you think he can bring your marriage back from the brink? Do you think he can put an end to that anger or that pride, that heart of criticism that you haven't been able to shake these many years? Do you believe that God can and will cause you to give up that addiction? Can he comfort you in time of loss or loneliness? Will he provide for you your daily bread? Well, most importantly, do you believe that he can bring your dead soul to life? That he can bring you back from the death zone? Bring you from the depths of hell and plant your feet firmly in the new heavens and the new earth. Again, remember Romans 8 verse 11. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. That's proof that he will give life to your mortal body. Do you believe that God can do this? Friends, follow the logic of our text in Hebrews. What is, what is God teaching us today? It's quite simple. This is it. This is the message. He, here's the main point. This is what you remember today as you leave this place. This is the argument that the author of Hebrews is making. If God brought Jesus back from the dead, he can bring you back to. If God brought Jesus back from the dead, how would he be incapable of equipping you with everything good? Is there anything harder to do than bring somebody back from from the dead? No. That is the most difficult thing. That is the hardest thing. That's, That's something our human minds can't fathom. And yet he has done this and you think he can't give you what you need to live a life of satisfaction, fulfillment. A life that glorifies him, that honors him, a life that makes him smile. I think there's a corollary here to another comforting text, Romans 8 and 32, which tells us, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul points to the crucifixion as proof of That God wants to give us everything that we need. That this is His heart. This is His desire. This is what He wants to do. He he gave up His Son. Of course He would give you what you need. He'll give you all things. But whereas the crucifixion points to or, or shows us that God wants to give us all things, the resurrection is proof that He can. That he will. And that he is able. Do you believe in that resurrection? Do you believe in the power of God's plan and promise of peace? Do you have faith in that? Do you have just enough faith to hold on to that? I want to tell you today, if you have just enough faith to hold on to that, then when you leave these doors today, you leave with everything. To not have that faith, though, means you leave with nothing. You will not be equipped with everything good. You will not be prepared or qualified for heaven. But to just have this faith that God raised Christ from the dead, Paul tells us, you will be saved. That's all you need. And when you're saved, you have all things. Brothers and sisters, today... Leave with that faith. Know that you walk away with everything. And you will say, with the author of Hebrews, to him be the glory forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of the resurrection. That this was not only a display of your power, but a promise of your provision to us that through the resurrection you would give to us everything good that we might do your will. We confess that we often live life in the shallow places, wallowing in in pity and in much need and, and, and lack. And we think, oh, just a little more of this, a little more of that will make us happy, will finally fulfill us. But what we need is to walk in obedience to you. To do that which pleases you. That's where true blessing and joy resides. And we can do this. Because you have raised Christ. You will raise us to newness of life as well. To say no to sin. To say yes to righteousness. We are so grateful to know. That death does not have the final word. That death cannot swallow us up. Because Jesus Christ went to death. And you brought him up. And up from the grave he arose. This is our guarantee that we will be brought up as well. We praise and thank you in the name of Christ. Amen.